Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many days as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Hi, Uni Church. My name's Mike. I'm one of the ministers here at St. Matt's. And it's great to be with you tonight. Uh, tonight we are starting a new series, a new series looking at the topic of time. Uh, next week we're going to be looking at time and busyness, but this week we are looking at time and human mortality from Psalm 90. Uh, it's a confronting psalm. Uh, it really does confront us with the mortality of our human lives, and uh, so we're going to have to deal with that. It's going to be confronting, but in that confrontation, it is going to point us to the wonderful hope we have in the Lord Jesus for eternal life. And so with that in mind, can we just pray as we start? Our Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would be with us now. Uh, Psalm 90 does have some hard words for us. Help us to not ignore it. Help us to really wrestle with it. And uh, in that confrontation with our own mortality, we pray that we might be pointed towards the Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, I did one of these during the week. This is a life expectancy predictor. Uh, it asks all sorts of questions about your health, about uh, your work, what you do, where you live, your diet, and then it uses hundreds of thousands of samples of lives lived and died to estimate your personal life expectancy. Uh, so, uh, these things are pretty accurate. Insurance companies use them to estimate the projected life of policyholders. So I put in all my data and I hit calculate and then up on my screen comes the predicted number of years that I should expect to live. And as I look at that number that sums up my life, I have one thought. It's just too small. According to that number, my years are going to be too brief to do all of the things in life that I really want to do. Uh, so what did I do? Well, I went and got a second opinion. I went to a different website. <laughs> 
a different website from a different country uh, with a different company. Again, I entered in all of my data and maybe I fudged a few things to try and boost my number up. I said I eat a few more veggies maybe than what I really do. Anyway, put it all in, hit calculate. And up on screen again comes the number of years that I should reasonably expect to live. It's pretty much the same number as the first one. So there it is, the shortness of my life summed up into one little number on screen. One number representing the number of years that I should really expect to live. And it just felt too short. It actually reminded me of a feeling that I had when I was uh, 16 years old studying Shakespeare in high school. Uh, After Lady Macbeth dies, Macbeth sums up the shortness of life with these words... Life is but a poor player or poor actor who struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then he's heard no more. Life, according to Macbeth, is like an actor who worries and stresses about his little part in the play but then after he's done it, he walks off stage and nobody ever hears of him again. And I remember being 16 years old and in Mr Hendry's English class being struck by the shortness of my life. I remember suddenly realising that after I'm gone, it'll be almost like I never lived. I'll be gone and eventually at some point everybody that knew me, well, they'll be gone too and a few hundred years later, it'll be like I never existed. The world just keeps going. Life is a poor actor who struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. Whether it's Shakespeare Or whether it's Reebok's 1990s advertising campaign, life is short, play hard. The shortness of life is something that advertising companies and poets and musicians and philosophers have long wrestled with. Well, long before Shakespeare wrote Macbeth's words about the shortness of life, Moses wrote it as well in Psalm 90. And what God has to say to us in Psalm 90 about the shortness of human life, I think it is one of the greatest lessons that we can learn about life. Psalm 90 will be so good for us tonight. So let's get into it. The psalm starts with a contrast in verse 1 to 6. God is everlasting, but humans are mortal and die. Pick it up with me from verse 1, if you've got your Bibles open there, please. Verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Uh, Most of you are probably too young to know this, but Australian cinema peaked in the 1980s with a movie called Crocodile Dundee. Uh, Maybe you have seen it. Uh, If you haven't, go and watch it. Uh, But there's one part in this movie where there's an American journalist walking through the Aussie bush with Crocodile Dundee, uh, who's an Aussie bushman, and she asks him this question, who owns this land? And uh, if you've seen the movie, he points to a a big kind of rocky outcrop out there. He says, see those rocks out there? Well, they've been standing for 600 million years. They'll still be there when you and I are gone. So arguing over who owns them is like two fleas arguing over who owns the dog they live on. It's this moment in the movie where you're supposed to reflect on the shortness of your life in contrast to the long-rolling permanence of the planet. But Psalm 90 goes further than that. Because before those rocks were created, before the mountains were born... 
God existed. God is from everlasting, in the words of Psalm 90. Go back 10 billion years, there's God. Go back a billion billion years, there's God. Go back to the beginning of the universe and then just keep going to eternity past and there is God. There was never a time when God didn't exist. Or in the language of Psalm 90, God is from everlasting. We are different to that. We are different to God. We are not from everlasting. We have a beginning. You only have to go back four decades to find a time where I didn't exist. Now, not all of you have to go back quite that far to find a time you didn't exist. But all of us in this room really don't have to go back very far to find a time when we were not. Because we're not God. We have a measurable beginning. Uh, One Christian author put it like this. On the day I was born, the doctor who delivered me inscribed my birth records, 7 pounds, 11 ounces, 21 inches, 4th of February, 1969. It was the first legally attested evidence that I was not God. (laughs) During the earliest moments of my life, on February 4th, 1969, the chasm between who God is and who I am had already been firmly established by the simple fact that I was measurable. God is unmeasurable. God is unbound by time. He has no birth date. He is from everlasting. I'm from 1978. You and I, we have a measurable start. God does not. You and I also have a measurable end. Look at verse 3. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night, yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. See, you and I, we not only have a start date, we also have an end date and you see that on every tombstone from 1954 to 2012, from 1976 to 2015. We humans, we are from one date to another date but not God. God is from everlasting to everlasting. Psalm 90 wants us to see the shortness of our lives in comparison to the everlasting God. Shakespeare spoke about the shortness of our lives in that quote that I mentioned at the start. Life is a poor actor who struts and frets his brief little hour upon the stage and then is heard of no more, gone. Samuel Beckett, in one of his plays, described life like this. We give birth over the grave. We are born to die. And Moses, in Psalm 90, put it like this. You sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. Moses describes our lives like grass that springs up in the cool of the morning, but by 5pm on a 40 degree day in Perth, it's already withered and dead, gone. Now when that verse says people are swept away in the sleep of death, the word there is flood, which is, if you've got a a different translation, it might have said you sweep people away in a flood. 
It's a picture of this irresistible flood sweeping every human being towards their final destination of death. It's like being down at Cottesloe and getting caught in a rip or a current that you can't fight. And no matter how hard you paddle, the current of time sweeps every single person to their final destination of death. And we do rightly paddle hard against that. Every medical advance, every advert for an anti-wrinkling cream, every hair dye product, it paddles hard, but it can only mask the shortness of our lives. And although we've had some wonderful medical advances, for which I'm really thankful for in the last uh, years, the death rate has not changed a single bit. The death rate is still one per person and it is over like that. Shakespeare knew it. Samuel Beckett knew it, Moses knew it. My question for us is, do we know it? Because it's really easy to avoid, to go through life avoiding thinking about the shortness of our life. As a culture, we hate talking about death. Uh, Vicky and I, we have lots of people in our house and we have really wonderful and quite bizarre conversations on just about any topic imaginable. This is the one that people avoid. Uh, talking about the shortness of human life. People want to avoid this discussion but Psalm 90 doesn't avoid it. It starts with a comparison of the God who is from everlasting to everlasting and compares it to the grass and flower shortness of human life. Gone. I wonder though if you noticed in Psalm 90 what the cause of shortness of human life is. It's not cancer, it's not the lack of medical progress, it's not that you haven't eaten enough kale over your lifetime. Did you notice what causes the shortness of life? It's God. Look at verse 3 again. Moses says in verse 3, you, God, you turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. And just glance down at verse 5. Verse 5, he says, you, God, you sweep people away in the sleep of death. God purposefully brings human life to its close. The shortness of our life, it's not random, it's not chance, it's not pure biology. God purposefully sweeps people away in death. Why? Well, if verse 1 to 6 is the condition, human mortality, humans die, then verse 7 to 11 is the cause. Verse 7 to 11 shows us why it is that God sweeps people away in death and the reason is because God is angry at human sin. See, after saying that human lives are so short, Moses then goes on to say this. With, uh, read verse 7 onwards with me. Verse 7, We are consumed by your anger, and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. The reason why humans don't live forever is because God is angry at our sin and rejection of Him. God created us, He sustains our life, and yet we reject Him, uh, refuse to live the way He says, and we are cut off from the Creator and the Sustainer of life. We die. 
And that has been humanity's condition ever since Genesis chapter 3. Remember, God made Adam and Eve, put them in the Garden of Eden where there was the tree of life, where they may live forever, but they rebelled, they sinned against God, they rejected God. And do you remember what he said? If you eat from that tree and reject me, on that day you will surely die. And he removes them from the garden, away from the tree of life. And just listen to these words that God speaks to them in Genesis 3 as part of the punishment. He says to them, By the sweat of your brow you'll eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. And that is why Moses in Psalm 90 says, You, God, turn people back to dust. Humans die because of our rejection of our creator and sustainer of life. And Moses, well, Moses knows this better than anyone because Moses has been watching that happen for the last 40 years when he writes this psalm. Remember Moses, he's the guy that leads Israel out of slavery to Egypt and through the wilderness towards the promised land, but God lets them wander and die in the desert. Without entering the promised land, because of their rejection of him. And Psalm 90, I suspect, is Moses reflecting on that. And he pens Psalm 90 as he thinks about that experience. Moses has been watching God's people die under God's wrath for their sin. But Psalm 90, it's true of all of humanity. Ever since Adam and Eve, we die under God's wrath outside the promised land of heaven. Death is the end of every human because every human has rejected God. And to that point, did you notice verse 10? I found verse 10 kind of surprising, to be honest. Read verse 10 with me. It says, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Moses wrote that 3,000 years ago. 3,000 years ago, he said, we should probably expect to live 70 or 80 years. Do you know what the life expectancy is at the moment in Australia? The average is 82. Now consider how many discoveries we've made in health and science, how many billions of dollars we have spent on health research and we have indeed increased our life expectancy to 82 years, which means that most of us in this room should not expect to live much longer than what Moses kind of predicted 3,000 years ago. Now don't you feel a little bit ripped off? Uh, Don't you feel like for all of the advance in medicine and science and hospitals in 3,000 years, should we not have at least tripled our life expectancy or by a factor of 10 or, or something like that? Well, no, because the cause of human death is not the lack of medical advance. The cause of human death is sin and rejection of the Creator God and no medical advance can ever fix that. You can eat all the superfood that money can buy, yet God still sweeps away human life because of sin. We can invent cures for diseases, yet God will still say, return to dust, you mortals. We can install gyms on every street corner of every suburb. Our government can spend millions of dollars running those Live Lighter campaigns so that we all consume less junk food, but we're still consumed by God's anger. Verse 7. You know, within my kids' generation, I fully expect that scientists will discover amazing things in the fields of health and I fully expect that some of those discoveries will kind of increase our life expectancy somewhat. 
But I also fully expect that not one of those discoveries will ever solve our mortality. Because detox diets cannot deal with the toxicity of sin. Liver cleansing cannot cleanse our souls. Surgery cannot remove the rebellious part of our heart. And so God will still sweep away people in his wrath for our rejection of him. You know, for all of our ingenuity in health and science, we still give birth over the grave, just as Samuel Beckett said. For all the billions spent on health, life is still a poor actor who struts and stretches his hour upon the stage and then is heard of no more, just like Shakespeare said. Gone. Nothing has actually changed since Shakespeare and Beckett penned those words on the shortness of human life. You know, when I filled out those uh, life expectancy prediction uh, websites, do you know what number came back? Let me summarise it for you. Gone. Psalm 90 is a pretty confronting view about human mortality. And if you're finding it confronting tonight, can I suggest you find it confronting because deep down you know it to be true. But if you are finding it confronting... Just hold on for five minutes because the final verses of Psalm 90 start to change everything. Because Psalm 90 offers us something that Beckett and Shakespeare could not. It offers us hope. The final verses of Psalm 90 has Moses praying in verse 12 to 17. In fact, there's three prayers here and each prayer shows us a different aspect of how we should respond to the shortness of our life and each one has increasing hope. His first prayer is that we might number our days. Look at his first prayer in verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In view of the grass and flower shortness of human life, Moses prays that God would teach us to number our days. We actually have something to learn from the everlasting nature of God compared to our grass and flower brevity. There's wisdom in knowing and counting and being conscious of the shortness of our days. Do you know who's learnt to number their days? It's older people who know they don't have many years left. Maybe their bodies give them constant reminders. Do you know who tends not to number their days? Youth. Uh, Some of you guys are very young. Uh, The fact is, I reckon I have some socks in my wardrobe that are older than some of you. And the thing about being young is, it can fool you into not numbering your days. Youth can fool you into not being conscious of just how short your life really is. Some of you are probably not numbering your days. Many of you might be living life like your years are not numbered, but make no mistake, they are numbered. In a different psalm, Psalm 139, God tells us that He has set a maximum number of years for every individual human. God has set a maximum number of candles that will ever be on your birthday cake. Your years are numbered and young ones, you have already spent 20, like that, just to get here. And so Moses' prayer for us is that we might number our days, that we wouldn't wait for the wrinkles to set in and the hip replacement to be done before we start to have wisdom in how short our life is. Now, why is this so important? Why does he pray that we might number our days? Here's why. Because if you are conscious of the shortness of your days, it changes how you live. You won't waste your life. 
Bronnie Ware is uh, someone that knows this. Bronnie Ware is an Australian nurse who has spent years working in palliative care. She has spent a lot of time caring for patients in the last 12 weeks of her life. And uh, not that long ago, she wrote this book, a book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. I love the cover of this book, Grass and Flower Shortness. Well, in this book, she talks about the five most common regrets that people have on their deathbed. As I read what the top five regrets are, there's one common factor. They all stem from ignoring that we're mortal. They all stem from living life, not numbering our days. If we don't number our days, if we don't really get that our life is short, we waste our life. That's why it's so important to number our days, because it changes how you live. Now, I don't, I don't mean that as Christians, if we number our days, we'll go and live life to the max and we'll, we'll go and get YOLO tattoos and we'll spend the weekend going bungee jumping and, and swimming with the dolphins and, and living by some kind of pithy little statement like, life is short, play hard. No, no, no. I mean, and I think Moses means that if we as God's people number our days, it will really change our life in the two biggest areas our life can change. It'll lead us to pray the next two things that Moses prays in Psalm 90. And these are the two things that if any human ever prays them, these are the most life-changing things to pray for. See, next, knowing the shortness of his life and knowing that humans die because of God's wrath, Moses prays next that God would relent in verse 13 to 15, that God would turn from his anger. Read it with me. Verse 13. Relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we've seen trouble. See, Moses knows that every human being's days are numbered because of God's wrath against sin, but God, he also knows that God is merciful and forgiving. And so he prays that God would relent that God would turn from his anger. Well, friends, we have way more reason than Moses to cry out to God for, mo- for mercy because we know something that Moses doesn't. We know Jesus. And Jesus not only fulfills Psalm 90, but Jesus completely flips it in the most stunning way. Her God is from everlasting to everlasting, but God is also a trinity, God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are from everlasting to everlasting. God the Son, the second member of the Trinity, always existed and always will. He was there before the creation and he'll be there after it. And God the Son, the second person of the Trinity who was from everlasting to everlasting, became human, became time-bound and stepped into creation as the person that history would label Jesus of Nazareth. The second member of the Trinity became mortal man, became measurable by time, had a birth date, 0 AD, had a death date, 33 AD. He who was from everlasting to everlasting experienced what it's like to become from 0 AD to 33 AD and to die under the wrath of God the Father. Jesus fulfilled Psalm 90 in its fullest, including dying under God's judgment for sin. For Jesus was consumed 
by the Father's anger and terrified by his indignation, verse 7. He was crucified for sin. He was swept away in the sleep of death, verse 5. His life sprung up like new grass in the morning, only to be withered by the afternoon, verse 6. He lived only 33 years before dying under the wrath of God and finishing his years with a moan, verse 9. And here's the thing, it wasn't for his sin. It wasn't for his sin that he died, it was for ours. He never sinned, he never deserved the wrath of God the Father, but upon the cross, he took that wrath for our sin so that we don't have to. Jesus experienced the grass and flower brevity of human life under God's wrath for others so that we might have hope of eternal life. Jesus fulfills and just wonderfully flips Psalm 90. He absorbed God's wrath for the guilty so that we might cry out like Moses does. Relent, Lord. Have mercy. Forgive my sin. Give me eternal life in heaven. And that, that is why Psalm 90 offers us something that Shakespeare and Samuel Beckett never could. Psalm 90 offers us a solution to human mortality. When Shakespeare said life is but a poor actor who struts and frets his hour upon the stage, he's right. When Beckett said we give birth over the grave, he was right. They're both right about the human condition, but they offer you no solution. They offer you no hope. Psalm 90 does, because it points us toward Jesus, the solution that God gave humans for their mortality and shortness of life. And that's why it's such a great thing that we as humans learn to number our days, because if we number our days, if we sense our mortality, it points us towards God's solution in Jesus. And it leads us to pray like Moses prayed, that God would relent and forgive. Have you done that? Have you cried out to God to relent? Have you asked for forgiveness of sin and life eternal through the Lord Jesus? Because if you haven't, you either have no hope for life beyond the grave or in this life you are putting that hope somewhere else. Maybe you're putting your hope in superfoods and science and surgery, but none of those things deal with the root cause of mortality. None of those things can take away sin. You need a saviour. Well, thanks be to God, He has given us Jesus. So, numbering our days leads us to pray for God's mercy through Jesus, but it also leads us to pray the final thing that Moses prays. In verse 16 to 17, he prays that his life might count. He prays that our lives might have an impact that outweigh their brief days. Look at verse 16. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendour to their children. May the favour of the Lord our God rest on us, establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. In view of our lives being over in an instant, you might expect Moses to say, well, look, guys, it doesn't really matter what you do with your life. Your life and everything you do is just over in a flash. It really doesn't matter what you do. Nothing lasts. So just go and do whatever you like. But he doesn't say that. Instead, he prays that God would establish the work of his hands. He asked God to establish, to make a lasting impact from the work of Moses' hands, to make his life, as brief as it is, count and last in a way that is established. That's stunning. 
God is able to bring lasting results from our grass and flower lives. How? Because when the work of our hands is in line with the work of God, our work impacts and lasts into eternity. This is what Jesus is speaking about when he says uh, to his followers, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in the steel. In other words, don't store up for yourself things that just disappear in this life. Rather, he says, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy. I.e., store up treasure that is established, that lasts beyond the brief moments of your earthly life. So, great news. What we do with this brief life can last into eternity if the things you put your energy into are kingdom things. Uh, things like growing in your Christ-likeness. That is never deleted by your fast-approaching death because it glorifies God on the last day and through all eternity. Uh, things like spending time reading the Bible and praying with others so that they might grow in their knowledge of God. That is never deleted by your fast-approaching death because it builds up others for the last day and for all eternity. Do you know how much stuff there is that we do that lasts to eternity? Uh, serving at church to, to raise the kids up in St. Matthew's to know Jesus. Generosity to your brothers and sisters. The continual repenting of our sin, growing in Christ-likeness, obedience to God. Anything we do in this life that brings honour to God, that serves Jesus, in this place or at home, all of that lasts into eternity. What we do with this brief little life lasts into eternity if the things we do with our brief hour upon the stage lines up with God's kingdom agenda. And our fast approaching death doesn't mean that our works of our hands are in vain. And that's what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 15. In that place, he looks forward to the resurrection, to the last day and the beginning of eternity. And look at what he says, it's on screen for you. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us victory through Jesus. So humans are mortal, humans die, but he says, thanks be to God, he has given us Christ. Look at what he says next. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. What we do with this brief little moment of life lasts into eternity if the things that we put our hearts and minds and hands to is the work of the Lord. Death doesn't mean that we die and death doesn't mean that our work is in vain. C.T. Studd summed it up wonderfully like this, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last pretty good summary of Moses' final prayer in Psalm 90. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, generations will come and generations will go and long after every generation has passed, you will continue to be from everlasting and to everlasting. Father, teach us tonight to number our days. Give us a wisdom that we may know our mortality so that it might point us and drive us to Jesus in whom we can cry out for you to relent and to forgive our sin and to give us life eternal with you in heaven. 
Father, also teach us to make the most of these short years, labouring for things that last into eternity and not spending all of our time labouring for things that fade fast. And in doing so, Lord, help us live lives that bring honour and glory to you for all eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.